This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up together. He made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We are not perfect as humans. We are born sinners, and we frequently make mistakes and fall into the grip of sin in our daily lives. The enemy is constantly attempting to deceive us and bring us down. We were doomed to an eternity in hell. But do you know who came to your rescue? Pastor Josh tells you in today's message how God's grace through Christ has saved you from the grip of eternal death and has made you alive again and free from the grip of sin. Our God is merciful and generous in His love. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 as he continues his message, False Doctrine. Jesus saying, if you want heaven, if you want forgiveness of sins, if you want peace with God, if you want redemption, I am the way and I have made the way. If you feel offense by that, I would ask you why. Because is not the nature of truth exclusive by nature? Are you offended that I say two plus two is four? Well, if you think so, I think that's fairly bigoted. Jesus' statements regarding himself create what's theologically known as the great trilemma. Jesus was either a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was the living son of God. And you can't go too far down the path of the first two options, liar and lunatic, without running into some serious logical fallacies and roadblocks. Trust me, many people smarter than you have attempted to debunk Jesus, only in the end to bow their knee to the reality of who he is. Yet this is why Satan has created so many alternatives. Back to our topic. I believe that Satan knows that people don't want to bow to the truth. And so if he gives them plenty of other alternative options that feed their own selfish desires and their own attempt to get to God and doesn't really mess with what they want, then he can deceive people out of finding the path of truth. One stat measured that there are approximately 4,200 religions worldwide. 84% of the human population adheres to some sort of religious or spiritual belief. Now, I believe it's actually 100% because I believe human beings were created to worship. God said that he has written eternity into their hearts. All people have this uh, innate desire to answer questions about life and death and eternity and themselves and God. Uh, even if they pursue those answers through so-called atheism. But here's the point. People are hungry for some sort of interaction with the spiritual. And that is not because of their higher form of evolution. That's because they were created in the image of God. It's always going to separate and make them unique from the animal world, this desire to understand the divine. And when it comes to all the multiple alternative pathways to God, Here's one of the main arguments I hear from a lot of people. And let me know, have you heard this? Well, religion is humanity's attempt 
to worship the same God in different ways. How many of you have heard that before? All these religions, they're just, they're trying, they're all, they all have the same, they have fundamental similarities and superficial differences, right? And when they say that, what they mean is, well, all relate, we just want to do good to each other, you know, follow the golden rule, be the best person you can be, and all these sorts of things. But here's what I would argue. When you study religions, you find the opposite is true, that religions have fundamental differences and superficial similarities, not the other way around, not fundamental similarities and superficial differences. They have fundamental differences and superficial similarities. So let me quickly go through four fundamental differences regarding Christianity and comparative religions. Now, the first fundamental difference I would say is regarding the nature of God or the question, who is God? Hinduism claims 330 million different deities. Now, they're not that far off. I mean, there are demonic personalities that mimic these deities, these gods, so to speak. Buddhism does not believe in an eternal deity at all, but a sort of self-salvation from the reality of suffering. Islam believes in one all-powerful creator, yet he is impersonable and unknowable. You might have heard the phrase shouted out, Allahu Akbar. It means in, in that language, the Islamic statement, God is great. But in all of Allah's attributes, in his 99 different names mentioned in the Quran, God being love or loving is not mentioned one single time. And yet in the Bible, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says the fundamental nature of God is that God is love. The New Age thought follows the belief that we are our own gods. Secular humanism declares that we are our own gods who will make our own salvation for humanity. Yet Christianity declares that there is one all-powerful creator who is moral and just and at the same time personal and knowable who interacts with his creation, who is love and who is justice and who is mercy at the same time, who interacted with his creation by coming down himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, as I just list some very basics to you, do those sound like the same fundamental gods to you? For someone to say, oh, all religions are fundamentally the same, and it's everyone's own path to God, but it ultimately gets to God, is, in my mind, the same thing as saying, God has an identity crisis. He doesn't know who he is. No, God is not like people. God is not confused about how he identifies. It's not like, I, today I identify as Allah. Today I identify as Jehovah. Today I identify, God is not confused. Just as I imagine you might be a little insulted if Everyone in the church in their conversations with others started talking about you and describing you in ways that had no similarities to any of your physical or, or personality traits or attributes. Why would we think that God can be talked to about the same way, especially in that he has revealed himself? So the fundamental difference, number one, is regarding who God is. The second fundamental difference is the veracity of content. And when I say that, I simply mean the testability. I don't know if that's a word either, testability, of the claims of each of these religious statements. Now, I brought this up when we talked about the Bible. It's easy to make a religious claim 
It's entirely different story to back up the religious claim with verifiable evidence. Christianity makes claims about certain real place, real time events, real places, and real history with real people. And, and so, and, and I love this, I mean, in God's genius, Jesus' miracles were done in real time to verify if it really happened here and we can test it by witnesses and by historical documentation and all these sorts of things, and we can have confidence that the spiritual realities we don't see are also true. Only God could think of that. But yet other religious claims that when you look at the foundations of these other religions, Mormonism claims that Jesus came to America after his death and he interacted with these pre American tribes that were descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel that somehow migrated here to America. So all the Indians are descendants from actually these tribes, which are actually descendants from Israel. And as time goes on, people are exiting the Mormon church in droves when they recognize there is zero zip zilch archaeological, genetic, or otherwise evidence of any of the claims of the Book of Mormon being true. One historian says, the Book of Mormon sounds more like a socio-commentary on the state of America in Joseph, Times, Joseph Smith's time than it does bear any witness to the history of the Americas. Uh, Simon G. Southerton, a geneticist, wrote this. He said, anthropologists and archaeologists, including some Mormons and former Mormons, have discovered little to support the existence of Mormon, the Book of Mormon civilizations. Over a period of 150 years, the scholars have seriously studied Native American cultures and prehistory and evidence of a Christian civilization in the Americas has eluded the specialists. These Mesoamerican cultures lack any trace of Hebrew or Egyptian writing, metallurgy, or the old work domesticated animals and plants described in the Book of Mormon. We can go on, and we'll actually pick this up a little bit more next week, but think of Islam. Muhammad, who is historically a very wicked man, I mean, married teenage girls and was a warmonger and just a terrible, violent person, um, he walked into a cave by himself, received the revelation, came out and persuaded everyone to believe him with no miracles, no prophecy, just threats. Yet the Bible and the claims of the Christian faith opened themselves up for scrutiny and have stood the tests of time, philosophy, ethics, archaeology, and history. Bible scholar and professor of biblical studies, F.F. Bruce, just by way of one example, talks about Luke's gospel. He says, a writer who thus relates his story to the wider context of world history is courting trouble if he is not careful. He affords his critical readers so many opportunities for testing his accuracy. Luke takes the risk and stands the test admirably. In other words, the scriptures hold historical veracity. And so as we look at the third fundamental difference, I would say are the claims of Christ. Jesus is the only one out of every major religious figurehead who claimed to be divine in human nature, who lived a perfectly morally pure life and who tangibly and physically, before witnesses, rose from the dead and conquered death and ascended to heaven to verify his claims. 
Many religions will acknowledge the historical existence of Jesus. By the way, you can't deny the historical existence of Jesus today, even as a secular historian, without being mocked. It's completely verifiable. But what they will do is they'll minimize the claims of Jesus. Oh, he's one of many prophets. He's a good moral teacher. You know, he is an enlightened human. He's an angelic creation, all these sorts of things. In fact, could I argue, and this is compelling to me, it might not be to you, that the one thing that most every other religion has in common is how they attack the person of Jesus. Now, to me, that makes things obvious. Like if there was one cure for the incurable disease and I didn't want you to get it, I would invent 10 more and then I would attack why this one, you shouldn't, you shouldn't listen to it. This is what the enemy does. So the claims of Jesus make him unique. And then the fourth fundamental difference is how one obtains eternal life. And this is where most religions are fundamentally the same with each other, but distinctly different from Christianity. Buddhism, through an eight-step progression of self-denial, self-discipline, and meditation, one can achieve freedom from suffering, enlightenment. Hinduism follows the same model of this nirvana. Islam says there's no assurance of salvation. If you can do the five uh, pillars, uh, confess, pray, give alms, fast, make pilgrimage, you might have a chance. Well, let me take that back. There is one sure way you can get into heaven, and that is if you die doing jihad or war against the infidels and unbelievers. And ladies, you certainly don't want to die a virgin because then in eternity, you'll have to be married to a terrorist for all eternity, sharing him with 71 other women. I'm not kidding. This is what they believe. Judaism, apart from Christ, believes in the true God, but not his true nature, that he is Father, Son, and Spirit. They don't see Jesus as the Messiah. They see salvation as coming through keeping the commands of God. Christianity uniquely, and I'm not going to preach it all to you because you know, most of you, at least many of you, is the only religion that declares Man cannot earn his way to God through his own effort, but God in his love and mercy has made his way to man, and he has made the sacrifice of himself to make the way possible for salvation. Paul puts it like this, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up together. He made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Every other religion has this in common. Man's idea to try to get to the divine. Christianity alone says God has made his way to us. When I look at religion, and I've talked to a lot of people who believe a lot of things, as probably many of you have, I find that humanity is attempting to answer four basic questions. And I think every person has these questions. You might argue with me, and we could talk about that, but I think every person naturally has these four questions surrounding these four categories. Origin, how did I come to be? Meaning, how do I find purpose in life? Morality, how do I determine what is right and what is wrong? And destiny, what happens to me after I die? I don't think I've talked to one person who hasn't asked themselves these questions at some point in their life. Now, many worldviews and religions, including atheism and agnosticism, 
have the answer to these questions. Still, what we want to say is, what answer provides the greatest cohesiveness between these four questions? I believe that the Christian narrative told through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus brings the greatest cohesiveness and truth to these four questions for every person. How did I come to be? You were created in the image of God by a a creator who has a creative mind. How do I find purpose in life? You were created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has planned beforehand that you should walk in them. He already has a plan for your life if you would step into it in, in his truth in Christ Jesus. Well, how do I determine what is right and wrong? Guess what? He gave us a whole book, did something, declaring truth from error, right from wrong, establishing a moral basis for us to operate our lives on and keep us safe and protected. Well, what happens to me after I die? John said, this is why I write this, that you may know that you have eternal life. You want to be confident about what's next? Jesus said, you don't have to guess based on your own performance. You can know based on what Jesus has done. Those four answers, I mean, where are you going to find a better answer than that? Oh, atheism. Oh, really? How did I come to be? We don't know, except you were probably a blob of unformulated molecules somewhere on a rock somewhere. And it, by the way, it was completely accidental. So you don't really have any, what's my purpose? You don't really have a purpose because you shouldn't be here anyway. So just do whatever you want in life because you're going to die. What happens to me after I die? We know that's a nagging question you have, like almost like you were designed to ask it. But guess what? You just die and then you stop. That's it. Oh, thank you. I have so much hope now. I mean, yes. Atheists and secular humanists heavily lean on science as their crutch. Yet if you look at things scientifically, which, by the way, requires observable evidence to test the evidence to determine a hypothesis, no one has ever been able to scientifically prove the lack of the existence of God or that God does not exist or that miracles aren't possible or that the Christian belief is unfounded. If you won't take my word for it, take it from one of their own. David Berlinski, one of the world's leading agnostic physicists, bordering on atheism and scientists, he wrote this. Now, it's kind of in-depth, so follow carefully. Has anyone provided a proof of God's inexistence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it is here? Not even close. Have all the sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything so long as it's not a religious thought? Close enough. (laughs) Has rationalism and moral thought provide us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, and what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy of thought and opinion within the scientific community? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or in their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. Is scientific atheism and a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Dead on. Wow. Quite the observation from someone who is not sure if he even believes that God exists, but he sees through the deception of the day. And I think Paul warns us in Colossians chapter 2, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the traditions of men and according to the basic principles of the world, 
and not according to Christ. For in Christ dwells all the fullness, fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Wow. The religion of secular humanism today, who's, by the way, whose clergy is in our classrooms, deifies man, government, and human goodness. The late secular humanist and atheist scientist uh, Paul Kurtz, in his Humanist Manifesto, wrote this, no deity will save us, we must save ourselves. And that is the cry of the culture today. We don't need a God. It's the cry of Babylon. It's the cry of the Tower of Babel. We don't need a God. We will be God. And I think that it is why, at the end of the day, people attack Jesus so, because it's not about evidence. It's not about historical claims. It's not about proof. I think there are people, honestly, who are seeking and do have honest questions. Don't hear me wrong. But I think when they get to the end of all those questions, I still believe that the core issue of the human heart is that people do not want to submit to God to confess that they might be sinners who have gone astray, might be living in a way that is not pleasing to God, might have to repent of their sin and bow their knee to another God other than themselves. I really believe that is the core of the human heart. The Bible says the human heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And so we create our own ways. We create our own religions. We create our own paths to try to find God. But I want to tell you, and I think many of you in this room already know it, there's not a more beautiful moment in your life then when you recognize under your own lordship, you were really under tyranny. The tyranny of lies, the tyranny of deception, the tyranny of sin. And it wasn't until you bowed your knee to Jesus, surrendered your heart and life to his, that you actually knew what freedom felt like, what peace with God and the peace of God feels like. And I would exhort you that if you don't know that Jesus the Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, who came, who walked, who died, who rose again, who's coming again one day to hold everyone accountable. If you don't trust in him today, if you have not bowed your knee to him as Lord and confessed your need for salvation before God because you have sinned, then today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. God's patience and grace has led you to this moment that you could confess your need for him and find and receive his gift of eternal life. If he is calling you, then do not ignore his voice, but respond to his voice. And I assume that every person in a room has made that decision to follow Christ or is not wrestling and struggling through questions. And I never know when there might be a moment when someone says, you know what, it's time. It's time for me to stop running away from God, and it's time for me to turn around and repent and run to God. Just pray this with me. God, I approach you today. I confess that I am a sinner and that I need your forgiveness. I trust you today to be my Lord and my Savior. I submit my heart and life to you, and I turn from my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. I believe that you died on a cross for my sin and that you conquered death forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, 
We learn about how the Apostle Paul mentored a young pastor friend who was working to reach the hearts of the people he was pastoring. Paul was in Rome at the time, and persecution was no stranger to either of these men. Despite all of that, Paul trusted God to use him where he was. He encouraged Timothy to continue spreading the gospel message. We hope today's teaching has inspired you to continue going forward, even when things get hard. God will take care of all your needs. He'll use your gifts and abilities right where you're at, so you can stand strong to love others well. Will you place your faith in God? If you're checking this whole God thing out for the first time and haven't come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's okay. But please, please go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to know more about how much God loves you. Here at Grace Church, we want your heart to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Hop online and visit our website, TheAscendingLife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's TheAscendingLife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's it for now. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so, because there's more to learn about God. So be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing